You're listening to the Thinking Hardly Podcast. Okay. Hello? Hello? Hi. Hello? Come in, Bombay. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, I can hear okay, you. Okay, okay. I couldn't hear you. Couldn't tell. Yeah. You know, it seems like only yesterday that we talked. Yeah, it's weird. I'm I'm getting the same sense. <laughs> <clears throat> Baseball, if you bat six hundred, that's like a big, big deal. <laughs> you know, but if you're grading on a curve of sixty percent it's not very good. Yeah. So I've had two failures of recording, and I don't. Maybe it's not even that much. Maybe I'm only batting five hundred. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was supposed to be the fourth episode. I bungled two of them. Anyways, uh, well, how's, how are things going today? Doing fine. You know, not much going on. I, I mean, it's it's pretty early here. Yeah, yeah. It's morning time for you, huh? Mm-hmm. Mm. We called the uh, we called the St. Louis City Board of Elections to see if our our ballots had been received yet. You know, we sent them like two weeks ago, not like mm. two weeks ago, two weeks and two days ago. And uh, she went through this, you know, high security kind of thing. She asked me for my first name and my birth date, and then the address at which we were last registered to vote. And she said, "Yes, we've sent out your ballot." And I said, okay, well, that's great. I know that because I got the ballot and I wanted to know if you received it. And she said, hold on, let me check. And then she said, I can see it right here in our system. We did send out your ballot on September 7th and, uh, you know, you should have received it. And I said, we did receive it and I completed it. And I sent it back and I want to know if you've received it yet. I was trying to be very, I mean, I was, I was really, really calm and really polite. <laughs> she says, hold, please stand by, please hold. So she went in the line, it's like kind of, you know, you can't tell whether you're hung up or not. And then she came back on and she said, not in our system. So then Gina got on and sweet talked her and, and she wanted to know when we were supposed to call back. So she had tried call back on Friday. I can't wait. You know, I'm like, I haven't shaved my, my beard and, of a couple of months now. I, I promised I wasn't going to shave it off until I knew that my ballot had been received. <laughs> so I hope that is received because, you know, I look like, I don't know what I look like. I'm a mess. I don't know. With the long hair, there's there's a slight caveman look, but, you know, I, I don't slight. think that's necessarily a bad thing. Uh, it probably is pretty annoying to have that beard, though. I'm rocking the Neanderthal thing. Well, I think maybe we've talked about this before. My that like the whiskers below my jawline, you know, are super. They grow super fast, and then I've got the regular, the regular stuff. See, so. for me, it's my chin hairs that grow really fast. So yeah. I always have a little extra right on my chin. Like poof. <clears throat> yeah, I, I always kind of look like I have like I I had a goatee. And then I sh- and then I just let it grow from that. You kind of let it all go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you, you had a goatee, and then you got a girlfriend, and then you just well, kind of let it go. That's the thing. If that were the case, then it would probably be a little more even. But it's mm-hmm. like, I guess it's not that bad. But it, it is. At least it feels like that to me. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. You know, everybody I know 
maybe I just don't know anybody who's really cool. Everybody I know is like is like a little wobbly on their facial hair, and I, I don't mean that it looks wobbly. I mean they feel like it's not it's not looking the way it should look. You know what I mean? They like grow a mustache and then shave it off, and they grow a mustache and a goatee and then they shave it off because they don't they're not committing to the. I don't know what they're expecting. Well, there's. I mean, there's one thing when you first shave it and then you see how it looks. And then two weeks after that, it's a little different to try to like do maintenance work on it. Mm. You know? Yeah. Like I, I do the same thing. It's just cause I get lazy, let it grow too, too far. And then I just get annoyed and shave it off. And I'm like, yeah, it'll come back. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I've just let it go. I just comb it every morning. It's like I got a, like a pet on my face. Yeah. You know, brush, it, brush it out. Well, hey, uh, hopefully Friday. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I probably won't shave until election day. Okay, so <laughs> we can talk about how, how's Danica. Everything okay? Yeah, she's doing good. Yeah, good, good. And this is your last day off. Yep. Mm, that's good. You only have two. That's a really short week for you, right? Yeah, that's. I w- I actually asked her because I was like, I'm trying to decide if I should do it at the end of one week or the start of another week, and it's like. This way, I think, is probably better because then I got two days and then a weekend again. Yeah. And then I get to go back. Yeah, you just fall across the finish line this week. That won't be be a big deal. Uh, So there's a fork in the road here. Uh, And we we never talk about what we're going to talk about. So we can talk about the news or we could talk about names for the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Um, you're not prepared for either. I'm not prepared for either. I'm more prepared for talking about the news, but, uh, Mm. that's fine. That's mostly because all my names for the podcast. Well, I don't have any names for the podcast. I think I suggested one, which was hardly thinking, um, thinking hardly, I think is what I said. That's even better. Let me write that down. uh, I was, I was kind of making fun of clearly thinking at first. Thinking, hold on, thinking, I'm, I'm making a note. Thinking, <laughs> thinking hardly, hardly. I like that. I kind of like that, actually. Um, okay, well, then I won't give you these. This is, like a, this is like a complete brain dump for me, like a whole bunch well, of things. Now I want to hear them. Well, they're bad, but I'll give them to you anyways because I don't have any, you know, you get to a certain point and... <laughs> It's just like, so yeah, we, might as well write it down. Yeah. We talked about a plays on the word week, right? Like this week, but W-E-A-K. And my concern was that you can't, since it's an audio medium, you can't really hear the difference, right? Yeah. So then it's like politics this week and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then I was trying to think about, you were saying, and let's, we don't want to sound like we're, like we know what we're talking about. But yeah, because. I like the I like so the thing that I liked about the week thing is that it was it it's like then it was a parody on like clearly thinking type stuff where it's like it's it's kind of like I don't know it's it's kind of having fun with the the NPR style names yeah which it's like you know if you come looking for that here it'll probably be pretty uh, disappointing for you yeah. So it can be disappointing anyways, but you're right about that. <laughs> well, yeah, we're, um, we're not, we're not doing what NPR does. We're trying not to do what NPR does. I think. 
that we're and that I think we're succeeding at that. That's true. Uh, so I like thinking hardly. That's good. That's good because it's like thinking hardly, right? You know, yeah. there is like a little z- zing at the end there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, then I had a like so, so there's th- that kind of stuff. Uh, then there's like politics piecemeal, the the political bungle, <laughs> and chicken fried politics. I kind of like that. <laughs> uh, the weekly political substandard. I liked that one. Yeah. Okay. I'll put a I'll put a I'll put a dot next to that one. I still I still thinking hardly is better. Uh, periodically correct. That's you know not so great. The slippery slop. Uh, periodically out. correct would be nice if we had a newsletter. Because it's periodical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, but it's not a newsletter. Well, okay. We'll yeah. Okay. We'll save that one. That one, yeah. Maybe when we get the you know the Patreon going. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, wandering left, meandering left. Mm, you know what I really like? None of our business, but it's already taken. Ah, yeah. I guess that makes sense that that's taken. That's okay. A pretty good one. Da- how about this? The Daily Revolution this week. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. I'll put a dot next to that. I still, I still think thinking hardly is going to be hard to beat. Uh, people are revolting. Wow. Okay. Oop. You get it? It's a yeah. play on the word of revolting. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. I guess I don't need it. If I die, I have That's to diagram good. it. It's not that good. Uh, cracked foundation. This is where I went like, I went like way off track. Okay. Yeah, these, Inadequate. Go ahead. That one is like a, that's like a, a documentary title. <laughs> yeah, right. That's so yeah, that's too serious. <laughs> uh, inadequate support. I kind of like that. Yeah. Sure shot. We're not. <laughs> uh, I like that one. Okay. Um, ear goggles. That's from a, that's from the Sure Shot Beastie Boys song, but that's taken. Oh. Hmm. Uh, then there's a couple of lines from. Have you ever have you listened to the the? There's a there's like a spoken word song from this. I probably like the '60s or '70s or something like that. Scott. Gosh, what's the guy's name? He's a his African American guy. He has a hyphenated last name it's in the the song is the revolution will not be televised i've heard that but i'm pretty sure that saying at least for me i'm not familiar with the song so yeah well if you're not familiar with the song then none of these are going to make much but the sense. state that that that's the thing the i think that's a pretty well heard like phrase now too. right so like right. i was familiar so, with that yeah so there are some lines from there nbc will not be able to predict the winner uh the, uh, and then there's this podcast will not give you sex appeal. We could deliver on that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, without commercial interruption, that would probably be right. Uh, on the dead run, moving target. Uh, oh, here's one. This is maybe the one I like because it's just it's just stupid. The weekly year in politics monthly today. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good one. <laughs> all right, that's all I got. All right, well. All right. Yeah, let's move okay, on. Let's, let's move on to some news. Well, that's good. We got a few that we can work with. Yeah. By the time anybody hears all this, they'll already know what the answer is. Yeah, and this will probably seem like a really boring segment at that point. <clears throat> more more boring than usual. Well, yeah, yeah. There's not a whole lot you can really bite into with these. Okay. 
Well, a little behind the scenes. Or we could just wait for somebody who can time travel to tell us what it is. Yeah, that strategy hasn't worked for me before. (laughs) Not that you know of. Okay, Uh, let's see. Amy Cohn Barrett hearings, any thoughts about that? Yeah, I think we talked about that one. Um, the We talked about it yesterday when we thought we were recording. Right, yeah. So, I mean, the only thing to really talk about, the only thing to really talk about is that, that, you know, that this is supposed to be like the firewall, right? Like this is like the, the, I don't know, like this is like the Maginot line for Democrats, and they're just going to not do anything. That was my big takeaway. Is that yeah. they're not they're not even going to do anything to slow things down. Uh they basically just are going to push on this one. And throw in the towel basically. Yeah. You're right. I mean, you would think that I mean the stakes seem extremely high, right? How old is she? I don't know, but she's not old. She's, she's not old. We know she's old enough to have seven kids because we get a lot about the seven kids, but I don't think they were all her natural born kids. So she, but she's young though. I mean, she's probably got 40 years ahead of her, maybe. Yeah. At least 30. I mean, you know, anything can happen with, with that kind of thing, but yeah. I mean, you know, look at, um, but decades probably. Yeah. Yeah. Decades at the very least decades. Right. And this puts, uh, this, this puts, this puts the courts like seriously, as best as you can tell, on the right. Yeah, decided. For 30 years. Well, I mean, I guess it depends on what happens with, uh, what's his name, Thomas. Yeah. Right. I mean, is he the oldest guy? The oldest person I now standing? Now. I don't actually know now. Stand I mean, by. Anyways, so I guess that's really, I mean... But your point is that this is high stakes, and this is, this should be the line that they don't allow anybody to cross, or they or they fall on their sword trying to stop. Yeah, and, let me see here. Go ahead. Sorry, I'm just looking through these right now. Um. Okay, yeah, Thomas. Yeah, he's the oldest by two years. Or no, no, sorry, Alito's. Uh, no, what am I doing here? Sorry, Breyer is the the oldest. I was looking at the wrong. Got him mixed up. No, no. Um, Look at Judge Judy or something. <laughs> there's just a list of them, and they're all. It's like the picture is not lining up. Yeah, with them. yeah. But okay. yes, it's uh, it's Breyer, who I have not heard much about <laughs> recently. Is it, so? Is that? Do you think there's like some kind of prediction market about who's going to die next? I'm sure there is. Yeah, I think those prediction the betting markets are pretty much open for almost anything. <clears throat> yeah but well, anyway so, but, but anyway this is, is it to you this is a like a like a picture of the problem with the democrats it yeah right? I, I think it's it would emblematic. be it would be less of one if they hadn't made so much of their strategy harping on this particular thing which mm-hmm. i think is a big problem with democrats in general is that they'll I mean, they'll basically raise a panic over how big of a problem something is, which they're usually right about something being a big problem, and then they act as if it's not a big problem. Yeah, like or if they, they can't, actually, if they can't they, if it doesn't matter, or they can't do anything about it. 
Right. And and that's just over and over and over. It's like that. I mean, the same thing, you can say the same thing about Trump in most cases. It's like, you know, I don't know. It's, it's the same sort of thing where it's like, well, you guys are saying that he's going to steal the election. This is like a, you know, this is part of that, but we're not even going to get an impeachment or there's nothing that's going to happen to even do anything to try. To even throw some sand into the gears. Yeah. So it makes it hard to buy anything that they say, which discredits actual, you know, real things. Like it's like I say, you know, I, I agree that a lot of these things are real problems, but, uh, they act in a way that doesn't really accept that, you know? Yeah. It betrays how they, yeah, yeah. You know, it's sort of like what you think is important or what you say is important. And then there's what you actually, what you actually do. And sometimes those things are disconnected. I mean, I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess that's a real, that's an issue, right? You could say, I like ice cream. I like steak. I like, you know, watching movies. I like blah, blah, blah. But if you have some scarce resource like time or money or something like that, you can't do all those things. You have to pick, you have to pick one. Uh, and so they're choosing something else over fighting for this as if it's as important as they claimed it was. Yeah. And it's a lot of the time it's hard to see what that trade-off is if there is one, you know, like what are they getting for, for, you know, surrendering on this? Yeah. So that makes it even worse. Yeah. I mean, I think in general, Democrats are bad negotiators. You could probably say. And maybe it's because they, you know, are trying to go to negotiate with people who won't negotiate. But again, if that's the case, you're behaving in a way that's completely incompatible with reality. Do you think that there is a, do you think that there is a limit to how far you can go? Let's see if I can, I can pose this correctly. Um, do you think, let me put it this way. Do you think the Democrats are afraid that if they get down and dirty, they're going to somehow erode away whatever their core values are? You know, in other words, did they see, do they see an all out brawl, you know, whatever it takes, no holds barred kind of approach as antithetical to their core values? I think I mean, what's they, the problem? I think it's extremely beneficial to them to maintain an, uh, basically a, an atmosphere where you can ask that question as if there's no middle ground that they have been just seeding. Mm. So that's the thing. It's not like, you know, I don't think most not of the things that voters that. are asking. For. Yeah. It's, it's, we're not, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, we're not asking you to cheat. We're not asking you to do anything, but it's a, it's a game and we're asking you to play it. And, the, if the values are, we value the rules above anything else, the, the, the processes and the, the way that the institutions work over anything else, then yes, I think they're adhering to their values. But that's not the value. That's not a value that I think a large swath of Americans or voters or you know, however you want to cut that. I don't think there's any resonance between that and people who have any real material concerns. Yeah. 
Yeah, it wasn't really, I mean, I get what you're saying. Not really, uh, what, yeah. That I wasn't asking about, like, if their values are following the rules, uh, you know. I, right. No, that's what I mean, though. I think that's the only way that, that, that makes sense to me, is if those are the values. So we're basically missing, I mean, we're either missing a party or a movement or something, right? Nothing's going to happen. The, yeah. way things, the way things are now, your view is, and I'm kind of coming around to believing your view, that nothing fundamental, and you can pick any like significant, demonstrably important problem. It's race, you know, racial injustice or climate or wealth disparity or health care or workers' rights or, I mean, anything, pretty much anything. I guess I'm being hyperbolic, but you could pick any of those things and the status quo is just not going to get it done. There's nothing, there's nothing in it for the establishment, the Democratic Party establishment to solve that problem. Is that true? I mean, do you, I mean is, that a, is that a statement of the way you see things? That's really what I meant by is it true? I would say almost completely. Um, there are things because, because everything is so sort of alienated and like the systems don't work so much. Some of the things that they do legitimately do help people, but in ways they also hurt people. Mm -hmm. Like I think the, like Uber and a lot of gig jobs are good examples of how that kind of works where it's like, you know, we see that like a lot of taxi systems in many cities are inadequate, you know, not sort of up to the demand that's there. Right. And, you know, there's sort of like a, the situation means that you're, it's tough to reform it. So they introduced like a, a sort of supplementary industry but then they don't regulate that one. So the way that that works is basically through not paying people actual wages. Right. So it's good for, I mean, it's good for consumers. Like that's a giant step forward for consumers. I would say, not a giant, what am I talking about? I mean, it's a step forward for consumers, right? You're in, you're, you're in a car that's cleaner and it doesn't cost as much money. And, you know, it's like you've loosened the, you know, there's just a, there was just a grip on taxis, right? It was illegal to do that unless you paid for this shield and, you know, like it was super duper closed off. Yeah. But the, you're saying that, the, so benefit to consumers at large, but then the gig workers get kind of screwed. They're not protected. Right. And, and that's been, I think you can follow that thread through like the last 20 years, pretty unbroken in terms of how Democrats work. Um, you know, they're very friendly to startups. They're very friendly to tech companies. And those are things that do a similar thing where, you know, yes, they create conditions where you can kind of weaken a labor position and, you know, depress wages and, and that sort of thing. And I mean, basically get a hold into local politics like Google and, and Amazon and those companies have now where, I mean, they essentially have like veto power in, in some of these places over a lot of like real estate things and, and taxes. And, you know, if you look at Seattle and Amazon, uh, it's not an adversarial relationship. Um, it's not, well, I, that's not even necessarily what you want, but it's sort of 
it's the same trade that everyone gets where yeah. you give up your autonomy to get slightly more convenient resources. And the fact that they're more convenient is mostly, to me, in my mind, the fact that most of these things are more convenient works off of the benefit they get from weakening their labor positions, depressing wages, you know, encouraging um, a lot more uh, of, and this is the thing where it gets complicated because now we're talking about things like, you know, visas to bring people over to, um, to work at tech companies and things like that, where it's tough to say whether it's, you know, net a positive or negative for American workers, but it's, it's a choice that you shouldn't have to make is basically the, the problem is that they've, this is a situation where you're forced to make these decisions of like, oh, well, I'll give up this slight bit of autonomy that I can't really do anything with for, um, you know, I'll give up this little bit of autonomy for a slightly more convenient situation, even though we all kind of understand that, you know, like if you look at places like San Francisco, would the average person there say that that's been a net positive or negative since startups became and, and like tech companies became the entire city? I don't know because there's probably other things that have happened, but I get your, I mean, I totally get your point. We don't know, you know, we don't know what it would have, what any of these things would have looked like. We wouldn't know. We don't know what the fares would look like with Uber, right? We don't know what the price of, of goods would be like on Amazon, if there had been some, you know, some protections, right? You mm-hmm. could argue, you could argue all well, the fares are going to be higher or that the, you know, the, the goodies are going to cost, are going to cost more. But first of all, you don't know that. You don't actually know that. And second, you don't, you still don't know whether or not you'd end up with something that's better than, than what was there before. There was, there was lots of surplus, you know, in other words, you could, you, you don't have to get this right now. What's happening, I think is the market is, you know, there's the kind of the supply and demand and it's not totally efficient, but, you know, workers are worker, the gig workers are not being protected. The wages are down, are down. So the fares are way down. You could still, you know, and you might be able, like a company like Uber might be able to operate profitably at fares that are the same as taxis. And it's not just the fare that's better. Right, I mean, you can call yeah. them on your phone. You show up. Sometimes there's a bottle of water. The things don't smell bad and look bad, and they're not dirty. I mean, you might actually be able to charge a premium for that service. But the market doesn't do any. I mean, I think, I think when I'm being okay, like you're slowly convincing me that you need to have some like fundamental values that are just you're. That's just the way it is. So that when you know, when Uber or, or Amazon or something goes in and wants to do a deal, there are people that are representing the labor force, the workers that are there that have just as much power as everybody else. Yeah, I, I don't it's know. It's tough. innovation, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm just very paranoid about this kind of thing anyway, because if you have a three-part system where it's one part government, one part corporation, one part workers, the workers still going to get crushed because we already, this is, this is already a partnership of government, you know, like larger sort of higher up government entities and large corporations. That's already how it is. It would be a great start if we could start, 
building some labor power, but like, I don't know if labor is enough to, to break that, like that sort of bond, because that's the strong bond that is kind of like seen to create growth and all these things that I think are, are, it's tough to sort of tie them to people's actual lives anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the Nordic countries do something like that. I mean, they have a very, very strong, you know, in the in the labor negotiations, stuff's negotiated like at the highest level between business, government, and labor, and they seem to do. They seem to do all right. And I know we can't be, you know, we can't all of a sudden turn out to be Norwegian or something, and maybe we don't want to. But um, and we don't have to. It doesn't have to be perfect, right? It could be better though. It could certainly be better. Yeah. Not sure. Yeah. I mean, I think I think your point is that the market, this market, even a regulated market, the way the regulations are happening now, and the regulations are happening by government, and government said, you know, is sort of, you know, I don't know what the right phrase is. I mean, they're beholden to to um, you know special interests, which now are the special interests are mostly money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right? that- so so you you could you don't have to have it doesn't have to be a complete. You know, you don't have to get to to um, you know to paradise or nirvana for things to be better. I mean, you know, this business about how much money is being made by Amazon is just, you know, I get it. I mean, they're offering a service now, especially in the you know with the pandemic that make you know the, the value of what they're offering went way up because of the situation. But you know, we we're just Blue Origin is Bezos's you know space company or whatever. And I love watching all that stuff, SpaceX and, you know, the rockets taking off and landing, you know, like, like landing on the, like, looks like science fiction or something. At any rate, we read that Blue Origin is offering schools the opportunity to send up experiments on these, you know, on the Blue Origin rockets for as little as $8,000. And Gina, when she read that, she went absolutely bananas. She's like, this Bezos is like a multi, multi-billionaire and he's going to charge schools $8,000. Like he doesn't even know what $8,000 looks like anymore. Yeah. You know, and can you imagine if you're in a poor school? <laughs> like, when are you going to come up with $8,000? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this That's is... totally backwards. I mean... Like you and I could raise eight thousand dollars. Why? Like this is. I mean, that's just like just. They, in fact, they should be. They shouldn't be charging schools eight thousand dollars. They'd be going out and finding disadvantaged schools, and they should be sending people out there to to help these kids develop programs and teach them what science is about and get them all excited and all. I mean, they should. Schools shouldn't be scraping together eight thousand dollars for Bezos to. But that's because Bezos, that's the, that's the thing is I think a lot of this stuff sort of comes from the fact that the balance is completely back. Like it's, it's just flipped where before you would have large, you know, like money. Like, I mean, if you look at the, the world war two and like the Korean war, all that stuff, you see people who are magnates of their own, basically working with the government to do things that then create these big technological improvements. And now I think the, the reason that works is because the government, at least there's the expectation that you're supposed to be doing something for someone like that. It's supposed to have a larger project beyond that. That is for some people that are not you. Right. And a mission. 
And so what incentive does Jeff Bezos have to do any of this stuff? He doesn't care. You know, I think, I think if he acts like he doesn't care. Yeah. And I mean, it really is unbelievable to think about the amount of money that he has. And, um, it's essentially impossible to visualize unless you use one of those things that kind of blow, like sort of breaks down each little piece of it and then says, okay, well, here's a number you can kind of imagine. And there's or if you, you know, or if you X take, number of those in this. Or if you drop acid. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That, that might still not, not work. Might not work. No, it's, it's an unimaginable amount of money and it, and it's gone up. Well, I, I shouldn't say it's wealth. I'm not sure it's money, right? It's mostly stocks and all that kind of stuff, but it's gone up dramatically since the start of the epidemic. I don't know how much, you know, like tens of billions of dollars more his net mm-hmm. worth. And I look. <laughs> he got divorced like I, two years ago, lost 45% of his money and he's back over the hump. Yeah. And as the most, as the most wealthy person on the planet. And she's well, the most no, back wealthy over female. the amount of money that he had at the time. Oh, yeah. that's, that's <laughs> what he climbed out of the hole. That, yeah, he. I mean, yeah. that's like eighty billion dollars. Yeah, in two years, and yeah, you know, like you're saying, I, I think there was something where it's like you could make ten thousand dollars like a day for the entirety of human history, and you wouldn't even be close. Yeah, right. And he's going to charge schools eight thousand dollars to starting at eight thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It's unimaginable, and I. <laughs> I get that. I mean, I think we've talked about this before. I, I get the idea that, um, you know, that, that people who like entrepreneurs and just business people, uh, they create value, right? So, you know, Tommaso in town, he makes pizzas, right? He, so he makes a pizza and he charges like six euro for it. And I go there and I'm like, I'm glad I'll, I'll give you like, six euro is like it's great it's, yeah. it's it's done it's ready to go you know like i'll i'll pay i would love it. to pay that much for pizza here and i don't right. get nearly as good of pizza as he makes yeah. i'm sure <laughs> okay so he so he does this by putting together you know the ingredients and labor and uh, he's got to pay some you know he's got to he, he does it out of his house they probably own the land whatever it is right but by doing that he's created something that to him costs less than six euro to make and to me is worth worth more than six euro magically there is value created in that right he would rather have my six euro i would rather have his pizza we're both better off we dis we fundamentally disagree about the value of the pizza to him it's it's worth less than the money and to me it's worth more than the money and we freely trade it and like that's like i get the the beauty of free exchange i understand the notion of value creation and the ability to capture some of that, right? So it costs him all in less than six euro, I hope, to make this pizza. Yeah. And, the, and the profit is what he gets to keep for the, you know, the labor and capital that go into, it's a family, it's a family joint, right? So I get that if you create value, you should share in the value that you created. I, I really do get that. Um, and I, so I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with profit in, especially in certain industries, you know, um, it just makes sense, right? You don't, 
but this is like this is this is an unbelievable amount of profit. It's just an un, I mean, and and this 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 drive to like push up the stock price, you know, and to make things grow, go, 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 go. Like I don't like that. I don't get. I don't get what's being. I'm not sure why how the world is better off. Well, that's not the point. I I don't. It can't. Think. I, I mean, but it can't. I, but, I think right. that. But, but, but hang on a second. Just yeah, just yeah. just a second. With Tommaso and me and the pizza and the six euro, the world actually is better off after we've made the exchange, right? Because I'm happier to have the pizza and he's happier to have the six euro. We're both happier by that exchange. So there's something between Bob and Tommaso that's, that gets lost when we get to Bezos and Amazon and everybody else. There's, like, like there's a line that's crossed there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. I don't know where that line is, but I'd like to find it. And it seems like, it just seems like wrong to me. Well, I think that it's, that's part of how everything is, is kind of tangled up and harder to fix is that free trade is often sort of the, the concept of trade and capital are often completely sort of treated as the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and capital is where the problem is. Capital right. is is the reason that all of this stuff has to do this, and it's the reason why it's it's it is unconnected, unanchored to anything physical. So, trading that that what you're describing is is two people trading goods, completely material transaction. Right. Whereas when you bring in stock market into it. Now we're thinking of people's thoughts, of people's perceptions of things. No, I know that, buddy. I, I've seen that close up. I understand exactly what you're talking about. The whole idea is to is for your earnings to go up faster than the analysts think it's going to go, right? And so you have to beat the analysts' expectations for the stock market for the stock price to go up. So it's constantly this like like. And you, if you do that quarter after quarter, like if you beat their expectations quarter after quarter, their expectations rise. I mean, they say, well, oh, you've surprised us four quarters in a row. So we're going to prepare to be surprised and we're not going to be surprised. So we're going to inflate our assumptions. I mean, it's very yeah. strange and it doesn't have really, it doesn't have anything to do with the sort of the net present value of cash flows of the business or however, you know, whatever you would use to try to get some, va- like, like tag the value of the actual operation, the stuff that's actually being created and i know maybe the thing with tomazo is like a bad idea maybe that's not totally right because tomazo has got a you know he's got this house that his family handed down to him and he's got you know he's got access to stuff that other people don't have access to maybe that's fair maybe it's not fair i don't i don't know maybe there's more to it than i than i thought when i was you know and maybe my six euro you know i definitely those six euro that i got is you know that is not uh, that's not evenly spread around that's for sure but Regardless of that, I think you can agree that the concept of that transaction and the basic sort of way that it works is one of the foundations of how humans interact with each other. Yeah. And so it does work. It It absolutely works. Yeah. And I think I think the the I think the concept of sharing in, in the value that you create is essentially the basis of socialist thinking. Because it's 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 both two reactions to the same 
stimulus. It's, I think that I'm, I'm being alienated from the products of my labor. Because you can look at productivity rising and my wages staying the same and things like that. Like it is not a, the way that people talk about it, it is not a radical idea in the slightest. It's at the, at the very most, it would be a slight rebalancing. Wouldn't even really attack the incentives that exist. Well, I think that's true. But it wouldn't attack the incentives that exist. Or degrade them. Is that what you mean? Erode them? Yeah. I mean, I think, any. well, I don't know. I think you could probably say either of those. It just how you think of the system as something that kind of grew on itself or something that has been designed. Uh, and it's probably both. I'm going to shift gears here. If you could, so I've been trying to think about, you know, like I, I have a, I don't do well observing a problem and then just like sitting with the observation of the problem. I, I have this tendency to want to try to figure out how to like, not that I'm good at it. I'm not saying that I'm like, I'm a problem solver at all. I'm just saying my nature is to try to figure out like, well, what could you do? Like, how could that work? Yeah. Um, and it's, and I think the I think the problem solving paradigm or way of looking at the world is helpful in terms of focusing your attention on understanding a system, right? Cause you're trying to, you're trying to understand the system with something in mind. Um, mm -hmm. so I'm not really good at that, but, in a, it, but, so I'm not going to I'm not going to sit with this for for the moment. I'm I'm anxious. If you if you could if there's like a Jenga block, you know, like the whole the whole thing, the social, economic, political like thing that we're in, that the United States is in. Is there, you know, is there like one block that you would like to like that's the block you would pull out. I guess it's anti-Jenga to make the whole thing, you know, different. You know what I'm saying? If there's yeah. one, one realistic, you know, where there's an on-ramp to get there. I'm not saying like a magic wand that makes everything better. Is there's like one practical thing that could actually be done in the relatively, you know, near to medium term with some chance of success? I mean, that's the question. Uh, I, I That's part of the, the sort of the maddening thing about this is I don't necessarily think there's one thing you could do without having a next step at all. Like I, I, I don't think that even if you were to make a massive achievement and kind of neutralize like one of these incentives or ways that things kind of work right now, the way that everything, I mean, the reason that I think we feel so trapped is because everything is leaning on everything else in a way um, such that if you, if you remove one element, I think there's still enough that if anything, you know, it might make a lot of people's lives worse if you were to just do that. So I, that's like an insurance mechanism on the system, you know? Yeah. It's a feedback loop that's or a self-sustaining. Yeah, any, it's, it's kind of like the, the law and order and riots thing where it's like, well, you know, we're getting riots because of the way that the, the law is being applied, I would say. And it's I would think it would be very hard to argue against that. Um, I mean, at the very least, it's happening because of immiseration. Yeah, and, I'm with you. Keep going. And, and then the feedback loop continues because then that's met with 
violence in most cases that we then need, creates more anger. We need which more law. It's more violence. Yeah. Yeah. So any, any perturbation, like any Delta move, you know, like, like a knock, uh, tends to, tends to correct back to the status quo for reasons that are not mysterious. Yeah. I think it's, it's more like the restrictions that have been put on sort of the less powered classes and groups are such that it's designed to hurt ourselves more than them if we are to sort of yeah. attack them. Yeah. Hey, the dogs are going crazy because Daniele, the landscape magic guy who can do anything is here. Can we pause for a minute and then call you back? It may take me 15 minutes or so to get back. Do you have time for that? Oh yeah. Yeah, of course. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stop us and then I'll, I'll start us up again in just a little bit. Sorry about this. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay. We had to check in with Daniele. He's super excited. Um, okay. But I'm back. Okay. Let's see. Yeah. I was just trying to think of where we were. Cause I don't well, really We're remember. talking about pulling. You, you, you were saying, you were saying that the system is sort of built to be, the feedback loops are such that you, you, you know, you, if you try to make a, if you try to perturb it or make a change, it's likely to, to appear to be more, more harmful than good often to the people that you're trying to help. And so the right. system sort of comes back into this kind of local, local equilibrium. So it's difficult to make incremental changes. I think is, I, 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 I suspect that's where you are going. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Even if it's a pretty drastic, you know, incremental change, I think that's, I mean, it might be even more like amplified the, the more that you do. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's why I think thinking of things like this, where it's all a collaborative process is extremely limiting. Um, because it, it just denies the reality of the fact that like there are people who basically it's their job to oppose any of this stuff ever getting done. And you can't reason with it because they're just doing their job. Right. Uh, so, what, so there has to be a crisis. I mean, something's got to fall apart completely. Well, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough because I think a lot of this is, based on the sort of ability of sort of the ability to separate the fates of like the economy and business and actual just like normal people. Cause right now, and, and it, I mean, I think 2008 was kind of the first instance of this that I lived through of, you know, like in the mid 2010s, a lot of people, like the, the situation had not recovered for a vast majority of the people who were actually affected by the financial crisis. That's right. Um, but all that we hear about is how good the economy is doing and the recovery and throughout the Trump years, the same thing. So it's clear that the economy is completely unanchored from your 
you know, actual life in, in most ways right now? Mm, I would say that the, the, the traditional measures of the economy don't capture. No, that's, what's that's real, right. That's better. really happening. I mean, I guess it's kind of definitional by what you mean by the economy, but I mean, you know, we measure medians and, and mostly medians, right? Median household income, medium wealth, median, blah, blah, blah. Which means that half the people are doing better than that, and half the people are doing worse than that. And um, I mean, there's just all kinds of things, right? It's not even it's not even clear that wealth is the right thing to measure. There's something to that for sure. I mean, um, but the wealthiest countries aren't necessarily the happiest countries, and the ones that seem to be the happiest are the ones that where the wealth seems to be compressed. You know, the highest and lowest, which is not captured by the median at all. I mean, very little yeah. of it is captured by the median. You can add you can add a lot of people to the top and add the same number of people to the bottom, and the medium the median doesn't change at all. And you can push the top further away and push the bottom further away, and the median doesn't change at all, which seems completely backward. I mean, that seems completely wrong to me. I mean, it's not good. It's it's definitely not good by almost any measure to have large variations in you know the top and the bottom of anything, but especially wealth. Yeah, and it's yeah. not. I mean, eventually, it's not stable. I mean, we were just talk. I know we were just talking about how this thing kind of like always, you know, kind of zeroes back to the status quo. But at some point, people are seeing things that you know look like they're from another planet, another reality. Yeah, and no, that's a lot more accurate. Um, and uh, you know, it is. I, I, I don't even know the median where it is right now. I think given the fact that we know all of the wealth that's held by larger, you know, or smaller portions of the, the, um, higher class, it, I mean, it seems kind of, it's just $60,000 for a family is not really that much. Um, no, it's, I, I mean, mean, it's it enough to get like by. It's, it's it enough sounds, to get it by. like a lot. Yeah, I mean, yeah. but that's that would be like if there was another me, like that would be, you know what I mean? If it were, I, I think we'd be a little bit lower than that if Danica and I were a household, but yeah. it wouldn't be that far below that. And like, I mean, we wouldn't, it wouldn't be great, like standard of living. It'd be, it wouldn't be what I would consider to have been middle class growing up. No, it depends on, I mean, it depends a lot on where you live and all that kind of stuff. But, but, but mostly it's not, you know, I mean, it's $60,000 is a lot of money. If you don't have any money, $60,000 every year is a lot of money, but you don't get to keep all that, right? I mean, some of it goes away and then, and then there's, you got to, you know, you have to pay for housing. You have to pay for transportation. You have to pay for health insurance. You have to pay for, like, it's just on and on and on and on. And if you're going to if you're going to if you if you're going to grow your wealth typically how that's done is by having you know some is like squeezing some of that out and doing something with it either buying a house or you know socking it away or whatever and i don't know i mean you know there's lots of pressure to there's lots of pressure to borrow money because it's cheap to borrow money and then you you know then all of a sudden you owe more than you can pay back and then you're like in a big 
you know, it's a big, it's a big mess. I think it would be better. It seems to me like it would be better. And I know this is kind of like fairy tale rainbows and unicorns kind of stuff, but I think it would be better if the metrics that we were using to understand how the economy was doing was focused more on, you know, how many people are struggling. What's the fraction of people who can't afford, you know, can't afford a minor health event or, yeah. You know, or or, or or their car breaks down, or whether they even have access to transportation. I mean, it's not really all that. You know how the top half is doing, which is one way to look at the median. You know, that's like the lower bound on the top half. That doesn't really tell you much about how the bottom half's doing. I mean, you know what the top, the, like the top margin is on the bottom half, but you don't have no idea how bad it is in the bottom half. And it, in some ways, if you think that if we're any kind of a country that cares that, I mean, it just seems like in the 21st century, if you have, a, if you're generating value or, or collecting wealth or whatever, I, I don't know. I mean, it shouldn't, there shouldn't be so many people. I think like, the, the if metrics, I can jump the, in. The metric doesn't seem right, I guess. Yeah, that's definitely a large part of it. Uh, but I also think there's, kind of another element that like i don't think that would be enough on its own either no um, i know i know that i just that was just a comment when we were talking about how the economy is doing i mean it would be good if we you know if we could say yeah you know yeah like that's the like that's the you know that's the 18th century economy or the 19th century economy or maybe even the 20th century economy but you know 21st century measurement has this yeah, I mean, that's more like what the. I guess it depends on what you want the economy. I mean, it depends on what you mean by the economy, but yeah, I mean this. So that actually um, brought to mind the. I know we've talked about this study before. The study: nearly forty percent of Americans can't cover a surprise four hundred dollar expense. Yeah, uh, it's just like, and it says here this is how the respondents came back, said 45% would be able to pay it with cash or money currently in checking or savings. 33% with a credit card paid off in full at the next statement. So like those, you know, you could say, okay, well, maybe that's not so bad. With a credit card paid off over time, 16%. Wouldn't be able to pay for it right now, 12%. By borrowing from a friend or family member, 10%. Selling something, something, 6%. Oh, Bank loan of line or line of credit, 3%. And payday loans or overdrafting is 2%. Wow. And that's for $400. Yeah. Um, which is not even going to scratch a, a health event, uh, in, at least in some cases. There's definitely some where it's just like, you know, you go to an urgent care, and that's probably more than you would pay. Um, no, but you just, I mean, $400, so it doesn't have, like, yeah, right, it, right. Any any health thing will get you pretty darn close to that. But, it, you know, a car repair plus a kid who's got an ear infection, right, it doesn't, it doesn't take very much. You could have two things line up and get to $400 in no time at all. Yeah. You know, your refrigerator starts stops working. Yeah, exactly. Things that you, can't, you can't put off fixing without yeah, drastically I mean, lowering at least part of your standard of living. Um, yeah. 
I can just hear what my friends on the right would say. You know, it's like, well, that's because you're living, you know, you're living beyond your means. You're just, you know, you need to like have a smaller footprint and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Yes. You know, which is true if you're in the, if you're close to that, you know, median or above the median, like I, I get that. I understand that you, that people tend to spend what they have, which is why it's great when you have the chance to throw money before it comes at, in, into your paycheck, you know, into something that, that, you know, that gets put away and saved. I think that, I think that's, that makes sense at a point, you know, when you're past when you know that you can pay the rent and you know you're going to have food on the table and you know you're going to you have a little bit of buffer if something goes wrong then it's then it just it makes sense to start putting money away i i like i get all that i get the personal responsibility part of it but there are people who are just you know i was just reading i was just reading this is probably from 10 years ago i don't know if this still happens there's some woman who owed like 750 dollars um mm-hmm. in in court fees, right? She was a, I don't know if she's a felon or something, but she'd been in prison and or jailed and she is, had, she was $750 in court fees. And so to pay it, she was, she was, she was in like some kind of program where she was released every day to go work. Yeah. Right. And then she had to pay for her housing in this program. And she never, she couldn't get she she was she was basically frozen in indentured servitude because she couldn't get a job that would pay enough where she could pay back you know by the time she paid her food and rent to be in this program and paid her transportation she had nothing left to pay down the 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 money she owed and it was that that was getting bigger and bigger because of penalties mm-hmm. and she, she was like it was like you know it was it was like 21st century indentured servitude like yep. that's, I mean, I know that's an extreme case, but it's not a corner condition. It's not, it's not unheard of. Like the, I, the, the country can't be, like we can't be doing that well if that kind of thing is happening. And I know that's a, that's a special case that has to do with incarceration and all the other stuff, but. But, but the, the closer you get do, there, yeah, the more that's a factor. It does have to do with what, you know, sort of entry level jobs because that's the only one she could get because, you know, there's a check the box if you've been a felon or whatever. You know, she just wasn't making enough money. I don't know. I mean, it just is like. And that's an extreme case, but there's tens of thousands of people that are one step lower who are basically you have to keep going to court because you can't fix the base issue because you have to keep paying court fees or whatever. That's just ridiculous. It's just so I don't know. There, there's nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing good about it. There's nothing redemptive about it. There's nothing reformer, reforming about it. There's nothing justice about it. There's nothing that teaches anybody that this is a like this is a society that um, you know that values people and gives people a chance to be judged not by the worst thing that they did, but you know by their by their potential. I just don't, I, I know that's all phony. It's not phony. It's, I just know it's all yeah. like sweet talk, but it it's, matters to me. I, I think the problem is that, I think the problem is that that surface level basically exists so that people don't feel so bad. I think like if you, you don't feel guilty, you know, like, if you are living an okay life, it's an excuse to, to not beat yourself up about it. 
what is that? What's the, 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 the pronoun that you're using there? What's that? What noun does that apply to? The thing that's making me feel better. Not you. I, I mean, um, the people on the right that always say, oh, well, just live inside your means. Like it just basically oversimplify yeah. anything. Yeah. Um, and refuse to consider any, any sort of nuance. Um, because that's a real situation. The situation that, that we talked about with, you know, people getting stuck in the court fee cycle, like that happened to me. That happened to me. Like I've been arrested more than once because I was not able to pay court fees. Mm. And, you know, that's, that's, that was part of my sort of perspective change was basically being predated on, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and that's what happens. Like, for-profit prisons make tons of money and they're making it on the poorest people in the country and municipalities basically a lot of these municipalities that's why that happened to me is because i lived in maryland heights that's a, a, a town that doesn't have a whole lot of money and if you are to look at i think even radley balco did a uh um a uh paper about um it might, I think, I think it included Maryland Heights, but it was about all of the uh, municipalities within the St. Louis area. And there's 17 or 18 of them. Uh, so it's a very Byzantine system and it creates opportunities for this kind of thing. Uh, so I, it's, a, it's I, a bad example. It's a bad case, but that is a principle that a lot of municipalities and yeah, I mean, you know, that's how a lot of things work now. I'm just stuck back at what you just said. I didn't know that happened to you. Yeah. Well, yeah, I didn't, you know, I mean, it's not, it, part of it is that it's a shame, you know, it's, it, you, it makes you ashamed. So like, you know, I think that's how a lot of people feel because, I'm you know, that's how, that's how it works. I'm so, um, so, so sorry. But that's, that's what I mean is it's just the way that this, sort of works it's kind of designed so that even when it happens to you it's it stops you from thinking about it like it it basically puts you into a place where you're making a lot of decisions based on risk aversion and fear yeah you know and and that that basically creates incentives for you to to not behave intelligently even if you know like I understand how a lot of that's you know that stuff works. I wasn't a kid when that happened, <clears throat> so it's just and you know it happens to so many people people that that don't want to think about this stuff because it's not pleasant to think about, yeah, and people who have no i mean. Yeah, there are people in really bad fixes, right? Really, really bad fixes with nothing to, no one to turn to, and not you know, no, no one to lean on, no, no, nothing. Yeah, I mean that's that's how I felt after that. Is like I felt like I, you know, I mean this is like a little bit pre-Bernie. I was already like I'm pretty, you know, privileged. I'm a pretty privileged person. I can understand that, and even still. You know, like there's just, I guess part of it is that I chose not to use some of my resources. Like I, I probably could have called you for help 
for some uh-huh. of this stuff. That's kind of what I was thinking. But, you know, I mean, it's just... Not your fault, though. I'm not saying that. And I'm, it's, I'm just, it's, I mean, if you were, if, because I think I was right on the edge of kind of growing up in a world that mostly worked. You know, there were lots of problems and there were lots of visible issues, but there always have been. And so you can kind of, you know, kind of reason it away. And it took me a long time to get to where I am now because I had a little taste of that normalcy and you really don't want to let it go. Man, you're taking me to school, son. I don't know. It's just, it, I know we've talked about in the past, like just sort of you helping us with understanding a lot of like, like with how, how you were brought up and stuff, us getting jobs on our own, doing things on our own, trying to do what's right, essentially in those cases where it's like, it is, it is unethical to do the opposite. Um, and just basically prioritizing ethics over your life situation. And it just, you know, I mean, it just feels like a luxury now to be able to do that if you can. Well, I wouldn't, I don't know. I'm so proud of you. I don't know what else to say. I mean, I obviously I love you, but I'm so proud of you. I, you know, you're way, you and your brother, I don't know. You're more grown up than I am. It's just the times. It's 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 hard because like I don't know, we talk about this all the time, but it's it seems like everything primed us to be in this perspective in this moment. We are incredibly empathetic with people who've got a lot less than you, which is a you know, which is an enormous um, accomplishment, I would say. And I, I mean, I'm not looking at me, I'm looking at you. You know, you, you have a visceral, deep empathy because you've, I mean, you've seen it. Yeah, but, you know, Man. that's what I mean, though, is like, that's like the most minor taste, the tiniest little dipping of my toe into that world, you know? And that's, it affected me that much because it's like, you know, kind of being shaken out of a dream or something. Yeah. Um, You had something to contrast it to. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why it was so affecting is because it it just felt like so much stuff that I thought I knew was just, that's not true. This isn't a very funny podcast. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I'm not thinking very hardly right now. <laughs> I'll drop in a joke or something here. Like a little I'll do a little skit. How about that? Put some sound effects in there. Yeah. A little point. Yeah, exactly. No, that's prices no, the price is right. Failure music. Oh, yeah. All right. man boy you are something (laughs) 
I don't even know how to respond to that. Yeah, that wasn't really. That's a kind of that's a dad thing to say. That's a that's a chicken dad thing to say. I'm proud of you. I'm super <laughs> proud of you. And I'm I am still. I mean, I got a lot to learn from you. Do you think we have to blow this whole thing up? I mean, basically, that's the I don't thing. Mean you and, I don't mean our relationship or the episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, let's do that. I, I guess we're getting pretty close to doing that anyway. But uh, yeah, I, I I don't see a way forward without essentially. You, I mean, you you kind of have to wrench the levers of power out of people's hands for anything to happen. Yeah. You know, and it's just, it sucks because in one way, Trump kind of feels like, you know, like the little crack of a door opening for that. But in another way, it's also, he's kind of an expression of how, just how like totally that system has permeated everything. Because yeah. I mean, he's kind of captured too, right? Like he's mostly doing things that his sort of the, the high up people want him to do, even if he's doing it in ways that embarrass them. Apparently. I mean, nobody's standing up to him. Nobody's telling, I mean, I don't, I think well, he's pretty, pretty damn happy. The, I think the, the, this is the first time you ever see anyone stand up to him is this now that he's, you know, desperate to get a stimulus bill. I think the, the Republicans are probably going to stand up to him. Yeah, that's fair. That's he did want that, and they're not. They're not. You know, they're not gonna. They're not playing ball. I suppose, but yeah, I mean, they're not standing up to him like you stop. Stop acting that way, right? Well, yeah, you know, because stop saying that. Don't be a racist. You it's know? not counter to their project, and in ways it it can strengthen their project. Yeah, I'm disgusted. I'm super proud of you. Yeah, it's, you know, I just think both of these parties, basically, if you just assume they're the worst people possible, you'll probably get a lot closer with, with how you then kind of like game out what they're doing. Like, I I'm don't think you. they're all super cynical. Well, I don't think they're all super cynical. I don't think they all know the totality of what their parties are, are up to either. But... It's definitely uh, an insider game. Man, people are revolting. Yeah. <laughs> people are revolting and the people are revolting. I wish. that I, That's the thing. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I think we might be past that, which is really the scary thing. Is if, yeah, it's, if, like if the it's thing possible. To, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Well, we might be past it. Yeah, I mean, well, we'll see. There's a, I'd say there's another window for something big happening around the election, but I don't know that it's going to cause the kind of thing that you're thinking of in terms of, you know, like everything coming to a standstill and people saying, let's, let you know, like we, everything fell apart. I don't even know yeah. how that happens. Yeah, I think all that you can do There's is nothing fracture to look at. Things. Yeah. Because even I mean, let's just I'm I'm just like throwing out like the biggest sort of thing that I could see potentially happening. It's like 
let's just say somehow a civil war breaks out. Okay. And and basically you had to kind of have to re like pacify a lot of places of the country. There will still be a centralized government around the military to do that. Like you're not going to get anything other than that probably unless uh, and the only thing that that could happen is the military could fracture. Doesn't seem likely though, does it? No. No, I think the all of the sort of nightmare scenarios for Democrats around Trump taking power and stuff really rely on like the military just backing him to the hilt. Mm-hmm. And there's been there's no, no evidence, evidence for that and yeah. plenty of evidence against that. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, there's no reason – basically, there's no reason for anyone in the boat to rock the boat. And there's a lot of people in the – there's a lot of power in the boat. Yeah, yeah. And life's good. I mean, life is still good for, you know, a big chunk of the the population, right? Good enough. Yeah, I think that's why the Democrats felt comfortable – just kind of turning on the rest of us for it is because, well, we've already kind of allowed the system to to generate to a point where there's already all this, you know, infrastructure basically that is just meant to suppress this part that used to be our base. And we know these guys are going to vote no matter what. Yeah. That's your point about, that's your point about, about boycotting them. Yeah. I don't know. I think, it's that's such an incomplete thing and it's it would have to not even be a large part of what you're doing it's just out it's of a bunch of meaningless out of a bunch no. of meaningless choices that i have for this election that's the one that at least doesn't do damage yeah yeah but it's not very inspiring no and it's you know not what i mean yeah, you, you can't. can't it's not a jumping off point. Yeah, exactly, no. exactly. It, it's just, it's just got to be something that you can. I mean, if, <laughs> if anything, if <laughs> anything, it's just something that you can. It, when people try to do the thing that everyone does and guilt you into voting or all this kind of stuff, just see if you can break through and actually have them question the real effects of what they're doing. Yeah. 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 I don't know how you get a movement around not voting. I mean, like, how do you sign up for that? How do you sign up for not voting? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it, like it, it, it's like everybody's already not voting. They have to sign up not to be not voting. It's <laughs> yeah. called registering. That's why they don't want to do it. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I don't At know. least for some people. Yeah. But I get your point. I mean, you're the, the, like, I know I'm like several steps behind, like I'm the gears behind. I may like be a lifetime behind. I may never catch up. I probably won't catch up, but I get what you're saying. I mean, the Democrats have basically relied on people who are no better off for their milk toasty approach to things. And the fact that they don't stand up and don't fight, even if the fight looks, you know, like it's not going to be completely effective. Uh, you know, you draw a line and they say this is the most important thing and then you kind of like, you know, yawn and you know, go eat a sandwich instead of doing something about it. They're taking they're taking all of those people's votes for granted because they know what else are you going to do? I mean, you might not vote, 
but you're not going to vote for the Republican. So you're, you know, you're basically, you're basically ours. Yeah. And it's just a matter of turnout then at that point. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, that's, I mean, that is true. I mean, it's all a matter of turnout now. I think, I mean, there's not, I mean, there's some people in the middle, like old people who see other old people dying, they don't want to get COVID. And so they've shifted, you know, from, yeah. from one, and that's sort of like, that's the stuff in the middle that shifted. And that's not even really, that's not even, that's just a screw up, right? That's just Trump screwing things up or things breaking bad or whatever. I mean, I think he screwed things up, but it doesn't even matter whether he screwed things up. It's just a bad break for Trump, whether he did it to himself or not. And then everything else is about trying to keep people from turning out or getting people to turn out. Yeah. It's really, it's really weird. I mean, it's really like, like, how does that? Well, I think, I think a lot of these, the, the, because if you really look at them, a lot of the things that we talk about don't really make a whole lot of sense. If you just accept the kind of line of, you know, yeah, the government mostly works and it's just kind of like, you know, we're in a rough spot right now. Yeah. Like if you really believe that, if you really look at things that closely, you know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, but that's really what I think drew me to this sort of view of things is because this is one of the first explanations for why things are the way that they are that is internally consistent and maps to the things that you can observe pretty accurately. And this, when you say this is the thing that explains it, what do you mean by that? I guess it's kind of a mix of things now. You mean, but you mean like there's a, there's a power structure that is self-reinforcing and it's not just on the Republican side. Both the Republicans and the Democrats are part of this power structure and they're, they're it's not even that they're obligated. It's just that the way things are set up now is that it's clearly going to be self-sustaining. That's one that's one part of it. Yeah, it's tough because some of it is like media analysis. Some of it is derived from like Marxist sort of like materialist analysis. Mm -hmm. I think, I think that's a really good thing to understand. It's, I think it's tough if you just take it as total gospel because like obviously capital has progressed quite a lot from his time. Yeah. Um, and the, the power that they have has progressed quite a lot from his time. So you can't, you know, I think we have a lot of evidence as to the failure of like socialism to mature naturally. I think that's pretty well, like you can't just, just establish like a socialist society and then expect things to just go all, you know, totally fine from then on. Yeah. Um, and that I think is, that's at least Leninist thinking i'm pretty sure is that if you just establish a socialist uh state then you will get like perfect communism uh yeah it's the friggin transition in which people have power that's a real problem <laughs> yeah it, it's and that's the other thing is that's more nietzschean i think right or or like uh maybe not nietzschean maybe machiavellian uh sort of just having a power analysis of things and that I think is is more describes kind of like how those things fail is that you know like people will gravitate to power and 
it's a struggle because you're working against the incentives of humanity to create a control system like this. Yeah. yeah and I guess every good. government is basically doing this, but yeah, it would be good. It would be good if you could have, you know, poles of power that were uh, adequately established and, 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 and not, you know, super necessarily close to each other, like a triad of, of power, uh, such that, uh, you know, you would acknowledge people's desire to attain power, but the power that gets attained is somehow intention between, like we were saying, between government business and labor, for example, right? Yeah, I, I think that right now, right now, I mean, it seems like in the U.S. the the like governmental power, leadership power. I don't want to say governmental power; it's a little weird because you know there's a lot of people in government who are not, you know, they're just like you know. Civil yeah, not particularly powerful. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, you know, it, it really is beholden to a lot, to I mean, to money, clearly. Yeah. And so you end, up, you end up with, I think maybe that's what's causing the Democrats and the Republicans to be more similar than they are different in any kind of practical sense, because the business, business doesn't really care. I mean, they care about, they care about doing business, right? They care about making money and it doesn't in one way or another, I mean, it doesn't really matter if they can, if they can adjust things with the Democrats and adjust it with the Republicans that you're going to have both. Yeah. Work with either side. Yeah. It, it's, I was just thinking about this. Well, just what I just said uh, earlier and it's tough because I think if you look at the strategies of the founding fathers and then of like, you know, like Lenin or whatever, they're like two halves of what you would really want because it, like all of the, all of the balances of power in the U S system are pretty much based on tension. And that's a good thing, but on its own, it doesn't, protect well enough against those kind of interests like just closing in toward each other and mm -hmm. then effectively doing the thing that you were so scared about anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and the problem with, at least to me, the thing that I see is like the just basic problem of like Marxism, Leninism is it relies on having an ideological basis where everyone kind of understands and believes this stuff, which is pretty impossible to do i think just having like ideological purity through your society the only way to really do that is if you have massive centralized power to then impose that which kind of defeats the purpose because then yeah. you have this massive centralized power and a bunch of people who aren't yet indoctrinated or whatever and you know <laughs> like it just that, that you can put the two and two together like it, it pretty much just is going to end up with someone having a bunch of power yeah no, oh, I'm exhausted. I don't know how you do this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I hadn't really thought about that stuff it just that clearly. Like, I just think that's a really interesting dichotomy, it, those two things. And, like, kind of, I guess, trying to, trying to achieve a similar balance, but for completely different goals. And they just have, like, 
Yeah. I don't know, good lessons you could take from both of them. But I certainly, it, it's just so hard to think of a totalizing political system. Yeah, I don't think that's, and it's probably not a good idea. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what I mean by that. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it, it might Stuff even changes, be. Right? Yeah, I think that's, not that's the thing is it has to, it would have to be like a cultural, culturally derived thing, I think, for it to even have a chance of working because that seems more natural. But we're past the point of like having a, you know, like everyone has already been discovered, basically. There's not a, a chance for a new culture to start from this point and then go towards something like that. Man. I don't no, know. Really I'm probably talking a bunch of, of bullshit right now, but. It's great content. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but how's that, how's that any different than what anybody else is doing? I don't know. I usually listen to people cause I think they're pretty right. <laughs> I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's right. I'm just kind of thinking out loud. Yeah. All right. Well, I super admire you. I don't know. I mean, my head is still spinning. I think I'm depressed. No, I'm not depressed. I think I'm, but I think I'm, I think I'm, I don't know. It's always a depressing <laughs> to talk to you. Yeah. But I yeah, love talking to you. Yeah, man. It, it is tough. Movie recommendations? What? Oh, movie recommendations? Yeah. Uh, I don't have much. Uh, just started watching Con Air this morning, and I did not understand or not realize that Dave Chappelle was in this movie. I don't even remember that. That's what is Con Air? Is that is that Mel Gibson? No, no, it's it's Nicholas Cage, Cage with a ridiculous Alabama accent. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean. So is that a hard recommendation for Con Air? Uh, Let me see. I think I'm about 35 minutes into the movie, so I can't really make the recommendation. Okay, we'll put that on the back back burner. Fantastic cast. I think it's probably a good recommendation. Okay. All right. So that's a solid maybe. (laughs) Con Air. Well, you know me. Um, I like my movies stupid. And this one's definitely stupid. I I agree. I watch it the same movie over and over. I don't mean literally the same movie. I just mean like it's, you know, it's a guy and his sidekick and they're going to go do this thing and then it looks like it's happening and then something bad happens and the girl gets blah, 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 and, you know, like whatever it is. And then there's, you know, there's the guy, who the sidekick gets pissed off and then he leaves or she leaves, whoever it is. And then, you know, in the right at the clutch <laughs> moment, they come back in like, you know, Han Solo and, you know. It's like the same movie, which is good for me because I can't, I mean, I don't have it in me anymore to keep track of things. I need it to be the same movie with different people and different special effects. But I like it that it's the same movie. It's like, it's like a comfortable chair for me. You know, I don't need a different chair every day. I just need my comfortable chair. Like that's the, that's, I want that movie. Yeah, I guess that's kind of true for me too. There's like a sweet spot uh, between low and midbrow, or like maybe both. That I think, like, like you know, we were talking about three days of the condor. I think that's probably smarter like that. than, than like what'd you say? I like midbrow. I like that. I mean, if there's a low and a high, there must be a midbrow, right? 
Yeah, yeah, I think that's a real thing. Why not? Uh, but it is now. You know, it's on the low end of that or the high end of lowbrow. It's like I think Three Days of the Condor is probably the best one that we've talked about so far. It's like there's a decent level of thinking that goes in there. Uh-huh. Uh but yeah, that doesn't quite fit in. You're right. That doesn't quite fit into my the, the one movie I watch over and over. But you but don't like have to understand all of it. So to enjoy it, which I think is also somewhat important, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it is for me. Yeah. Yeah. I got to be able to enjoy it if I don't understand it. Cause that, cause that latter thing is absolutely likely to happen. I am likely not to understand it. But did you, ever, did you ever see the American with George Clooney? I did. I did. And I always get it mixed up with Michael Clayton, which I thought the American, like if I remember right, the American is not great. And Michael Clayton, I looked up and it was like, oh, this thing got like four Academy Awards. I must be thinking of something else. <laughs> I like The American, but I've watched it four times and I finally understand it. I, uh, yeah, I, I remember very I'm little. Saying, I remember, I, I remember I'm not saying if you watch it four times, it's going to be great. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I just, I remember, I remember lots of nice little villages and uh, just, Basically, it looked really like pleasant, is what I remember from most of the uh, environments. Yeah, isn't that supposed to take place in like southern Italy? It's just one one region south of us. It's Abruzzo. <laughs> yeah, it, okay. looks a, it looks a lot like around here. Maybe that's why I like it. But it, I, mean, I, I think <laughs> a lot of people were complaining that nothing's happening in the movie. But if you watch it four times, you know, you can actually see some things happening. Like I, now I understand what the movie's about. I feel quite, I feel like that's an accomplishment (laughs) for me because it's not the same movie that I watch over and over and over again. Okay. I'll give that one a look. I'm not even sure I like George Clooney, but he he looks like he's chewing on a piece of gum the whole movie. See if that's right. Or maybe it's a sunflower seed. (laughs) He's got something going on as he sticks his lower jaw out the whole movie. I don't know what the deal is. I don't know. I love George Clooney, but I, I think he's kind of, he was, I think he was kind of misunderstood at the start of his career because Ocean's Eleven, I like, obviously I'm biased because it's like maybe my favorite movie, but um, that I think was a really good one where he's both cool and a dweeb who is kind of yeah. a screw up. And yeah. that is him, you know, like I, I, Michael Clayton. That's the only thing I remember about that movie is that was his character. Kind of cool. I got to see them. I got to see them. Cool. And, uh, and actually I, I just think he's really funny too. Cause like we just watched, uh, Oh brother, where art thou mm-hmm. not that long ago. And, um, he's in burn, uh, burn after reading. Oh Yeah. He's really funny in that one. Yeah. Yeah, he's a good actor. I think he's got a, I think he might have a career ahead of him. (laughs) Yeah. My words. Really promising. Yeah, I think he's, I think, I think something could come of him. Keep an eye on him. You'll see him around. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I like him. I think that's right. I think he hit the nail on the head. He's, he's like, he's a little nerdy, dweeby. But cool. And so if you're if you're like me and you're a little nerdy and dweeby, you're like, okay, like I'm halfway to George Clooney. <laughs> yeah, now you just have to like, you know, 
Well, I don't know. You could probably figure out all the suits that he was wearing in Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. Just, just get those. I don't know if you can yeah. anymore. It's 20 years there's, later. There's something different between my face and his face. I can't figure out what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not... I think, it, I think it's a buttload of handsome. I think that's what it might be. <laughs> all right son i gotta go we've done like two hours worth of work here yeah yeah that's good that's a lot of content okay well i'm sorry to take up so much of your time but i love talking to you and um thanks for being so honest with me yeah yeah of course i mean you know i always think it's enjoyable doing these yeah okay well let me know what you decide for the name of the podcast <laughs> I already submitted mine. You know what I what I want. Thinking hardly. I like that's, it. That's, yeah, that's it. We're done. Done. That's fine. Okay. Done cool. deal. Okay. All right. I love you. I'll talk to you on Sunday. Sunday. Cool. I'll talk okay. to you. Then. Take care. Say hi to Danica. All right. I will. Love you, buddy. Love you too. Bye. Bye. <laughs>